Today we are in week two of 21 days of prayer and fasting, and if you're new to our church, 21 days of prayer and fasting is an important part of our rhythm as a church. Uh, we, we take two times every, every year, in January and in August, to dedicate ourselves to prayer, to spend three weeks praying together, and during that time we meet every morning online, uh, either on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, if you're fasting social media, on our website, gatherashville.org slash prayer. And we meet at 6.30 a.m., but then those videos are available all day long. And really all that is is a simple prompt to prayer, a, a movement to prayer together. We're committing to pray together over these three weeks. And so you'll see me or one of our other pastors or leaders or elders here at the church who will kind of open your day with a little devotion and then a time of prayer and send you off into prayer. We do that all, all week long, Monday to Friday at 6.30 a.m. And then on Saturday, we come together for a prayer service. And prayer service is really not as intimidating as you feel like it is. It is just a time of worship together. I'll give a, a brief devotion and then we'll just spend time in that room together praying, praying alone, praying together. Uh, it is really a special time and uh, really had a great one yesterday and can't wait for this upcoming Saturday. That's at 9 a.m. on Saturday at Seacoast Asheville. This is such an important part of our annual rhythm because uh, the January one for us is really about what we believe is called the principle of the first, that the Bible teaches over and over again this idea of the principle of the first, that we dedicate the first of everything to God. We give him the first part of our finances. We give him the first part of our week here at church on Sundays. We give him the first part of our day in worship and prayer. We give him the first part of our year as we dedicate it to fasting and prayer. Fasting is another part of the January 21 days of prayer that really I just think will bless you so much if you lean into it. I'll give you two quick things about fasting. Two quick things. The first is have grace for yourself, okay? There, there is no, no God in heaven looking down on you with judgment in his hands when you accidentally eat a cookie during your sugar fast because you forgot or you had a big moment of weakness and you don't want to admit which it was. There, there is no lightning bolt coming down upon you. If, you. if you gave up at some point during this past week, you can still jump back in and you will still see benefits and it will still be so good for you. And then the second thing that I give you about fasting is the reminder that fasting is really just about saying no to the physical so we can say yes to the spiritual. I believe that you have spiritual needs that are greater than your physical needs. And when we fast and pray, uh, it is such a good reminder of that. And so 21 days of fasting and prayer is going on right now. One more thing I want to tell you about, and then I get into our message for this morning. And that is, hey, if you are new to our church, I got to tell you that a big part of who we are is we believe family is our culture. That's one of our core values. Family is our culture. This is a community where you can really get to know people and make some real friends and people who like you for who you are, who care about you, and who are ready to go through the storms with you and through, through all the good moments with you as well. And the place where we believe those relationships form is in our life groups. And life groups are coming soon. Uh, a life group is really, it, it's just a, a small group environment where you can hang out and have dinner. Sometimes they meet 
meet out at breweries and things like that. There's Bible studies. There's activity groups. There's all kinds of different ways that we build community through life groups. And if you've ever uh, been a part of a life group and been encouraged by it, we would really love to encourage you to consider leading one. We need people to lead life groups. The way that our model works is there are only the life groups that you decide to lead. You don't have to have any special qualifications. You don't have to have to feel perfect or like you've got it all together or like you know it all. If you just feel like you've got a space where you can host some people or or you can you can get some folks together somewhere out in our city, then we would love for you to host a life group. We would love for you to reach out to us and, and let us know about that. Sign up, start next week, I believe, for life group leaders. And so if you're going to lead a life group, let me encourage you to lead a life group and, and to jump into that. Uh, and we'll talk more about that next Sunday. Well, today we're in a series called All Things New. It is the new year, and maybe you've made some resolutions that here we are a week into the new year, nine days in into January. Maybe you've still got that resolution. Good for you. You're doing it. You're cr- you are winning. You're crushing it. I-, I make a word for, I do a word for the year every, every year. I believe in, uh, it's not like mythical or mystical. I don't think God w- speaks out of heaven and tells me a word. I, I just, I pray over a, a-, a focus that I want to have every year. Just kind of one thing that I can, I can keep centered around in my prayer time that I'll journal about specifically all year long. And uh, my word for the year this year is better. It's better. Just better. I'm looking for a better year in 2022. Anybody else looking for a better year in 2022? I'm looking to get better, to be a better version of myself. And, and I, I'm looking to, to be a better leader, a better friend, a better pastor, a better father, a better husband. Better is my word for 2022. And if you're looking to get better in 2022, then this series is for you. It's called All Things New. I believe that God is in the business of making things new. It says in Isaiah that he is doing a new thing. In Revelation 21, he says, behold, I am making all things new. Ezekiel says he'll take out your cold heart of stone and make it into a new heart of flesh. 1 Corinthians 5 says, whoever believes in Jesus Christ is a new creation. I believe our God is in the business of new, and we need new. We need new because the old is not so great. Last week, we talked about stepping into new life. Today, I want to talk about something else that we need to make new. Uh, I'm 5'8". That's a little stat about me. I'm five foot eight inches tall. Maybe you're surprised I always wear boots on Sunday because they give me an extra inch and a half there in the heel. But I'm five foot eight, and uh, and for a long time, uh, I was pretty focused on the fact that there are a lot of people shorter than five foot eight. Okay, most of them aren't finished growing yet, but still, <laughs> for about the first thirty years of my life, I looked at every man that I had ever met and assumed we were the same height. It was just like a wiring that I, I had heard somewhere in my life that 5'8 was the average height of the American male. And so the way that I filtered that was every time I looked at a man, I thought, he's about 5'8, we're about the same height. Me and this guy, if we had to go toe to toe, it would be eye to eye. We could do this. I, 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 uh, I learned a little while back that I am not the same height as everyone else. Uh, It happened about two years ago. Somebody had said something about my friend Robbie being tall. And I thought, yeah, we are tall, aren't we, Robbie? (laughs) We're pretty tall guys. 
And they said, no, John Mark, Robbie's taller than you. And I said, Robbie is not taller than me. I've known this guy since we were 14 years old. I'm telling you right now, we're the same height. And so they said, well, why don't you stand up back to back? And I said, okay, no problem. And we stood up back to back, and it turned out that Robbie is six feet tall. <laughs> you guys, I was shocked. I could feel like the, his neck up against the top of my head. And I was like, is this true? Because I was checking his shoes. I was looking for lifters. So after that, I began to have this realization that I was shorter than some of the men that I meet. Uh, so I looked up the average male height in America. Do you know what it is? It's 5'9". I'm devastated. I learned that I am below average height. But I also learned that that's just America. In Japan and Kenya, <laughs> the average height is five foot seven. Okay? Now we're getting somewhere. And then I saw that the average height for men in India is five foot five. Okay? Then I found Yemen. I love Yemen. I'm thinking about retiring in Yemen because in Yemen, the average height of the men there is five foot three inches tall. I am a giant in Yemen. I'm looking down on everybody. Everybody's looking to me to grab things that are up high. I'm like, no problem. I can reach that for you. That's not a problem at all. Today, I want to talk about perspective. I want to talk about perspective for a few moments this morning because your perspective matters. Your perspective and how you see the world and how you relate it to everything going on around you is important. We're going to talk about a new perspective this morning. We started this church in 2016. We're almost, in next month, we're going to have our sixth anniversary as a church, our sixth birthday party. We're six years old. We're first graders as a church now. We can't, we're excited about that. But we started this church in 2016, and I had just finished Bible college and seminary and a church planning apprenticeship, all focused around being a church planner. That means somebody who starts a church from scratch. I had spent all these years learning and training and preparing to start a church from scratch, and we did it. We started a church from scratch, but what I learned quickly in 2016 and over the last six years was how little I know about what comes after you start a church from scratch. The whole act of pastoring. For me, it was a really steep learning curve and where I struggled specifically was understanding my role from a matter of perspective. I know that as a pastor, it's my job to uh, spiritually form people, to help people grow closer to Jesus. And that's defined differently by every pastor. But in the beginning, I was under the impression that a big part of how I had to do that was to take people's burdens from them and place them on me. They would come and meet with me with all the hard things of life, all the, all the things they were going through, what they, all these big questions that they had, and I would have these conversations, and I would I, I, quietly and, and privately shoulder some of that burden they were carrying myself and feel like that's what my job was. This was what I was here to do. Over time, the weight of that began to break me. My emotional health suffered. 
My mental health suffered, my marriage suffered, even my physical health suffered. I didn't know what to do. About a year in, I sat down with a friend of mine who is a pastor, a guy named Fred Baker at Fellowship Asheville. And I was telling him all this. And I said, I, I know that it's my job to carry people's burdens, but I just don't know if I can do it for much longer. And Fred smiled and he just leaned in and said, John Mark, that is not what your job is. You have the wrong perspective on this job. Spiritual formation, the work of a pastor is about teaching people that only Jesus can carry their burdens. John Mark, you are not Jesus. I had been operating under this wrong perspective and it was killing me. Because wrong perspectives, when we live under them for long enough, rob us of our joy, they rob us of our purpose, they rob us of our understanding, they begin to rob us of our freedom. Here's some wrong perspectives that I believe we live in. First, I don't deserve what I have. I don't deserve what I have. Maybe you're struggling with imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. That's when you feel like a fraud, like at any moment, somebody's going to jump out of the bushes and say, imposter. Maybe you feel that way as an employee or as an employer. Maybe you feel that way in your marriage or as a parent or as a follower of Jesus. Maybe you don't reach for more or, or work for something better because you think that what you have is more than what you deserve or all that you deserve. Maybe this is why you've never grown any closer to God than you are right now, because you don't think you deserve it. You don't think he will accept you for who you really are. You don't want him, you don't want to get too close to him because you don't want him to see everything that is up close and personal. You don't want to have to face things down that you might have to change. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it is the wrong perspective especially as it relates to forgiveness and closeness with God. Because the reality is you don't deserve it. None of us do. But God has made us worthy. That's what the cross is all about. I love the story of Isaiah walking into the throne room of God in Isaiah 6, and he says in verse 5, Woe is me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. That is what Jesus did for you. He took away your sin. If you've been living with this imposter sin, I'm afraid to get close to God, afraid to get near to God because you don't feel like you deserve to be in the presence of God. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve the blessings I have in my life. I'm worried that if I get too close to God, he might want to take them away. And I'm here to tell you this morning that he already has done the work to make you worthy. He's sanctified you. He has purified and redeemed you and atoned for your sin the second you enter into a relationship with Jesus. That's what the cross was all about. Having the idea that you're not good enough to be near him is the wrong perspective. I don't deserve this is the wrong perspective in every area of our life. You don't enter into a workplace thinking, I don't deserve this. I'm not good enough for this. Even if there's some truth to it, you say, how can I get better. What can I do better? 
Second wrong perspective is I can't change. I can't change. I can't change. We talked last week a little bit about how hard change can be. Maybe your perspective is that you have areas of your life that you're holding on to that you think you just can't change. Maybe you just think, you know what, my dad had anger problems, and his dad had anger problems, and I have anger problems. That's just who we are, you know? We're, we're short-tempered people. It's just, that's just the story of my family. This is who I've always, it's not my fault that I'm this way. That's also how they were. The, the things that they did made me this way, and I just can't change. This is, I've tried before, I've tried, and you know, now I'm just, I've embraced it. I don't have to change. I'm, I just am who I am. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, therefore we do not lose heart. We don't give up. Though outwardly we're wasting away, time keeps ticking on and it keeps moving forward, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. He can make you new every single day. It doesn't happen all at once. Change is hard, but it is possible even for you. It happens little by little day by day, sometimes entirely by supernatural means and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it happens through accountability and growth, spiritually and mature, maturity. Sometimes it happens with the help of someone leading you and guiding you, but change is always possible. You too can be renewed day by day. Third wrong perspective, perspective is I can do it on my own. I can do it on my own. I can do it all by myself. I spent a lot of years living in the perspective that I can do it on my own. I can do it all by myself. I don't need anybody else. To this day, if I'm ever doing a project, Rail always, I'll be starting a project and Rail will be like, hey, why don't you ask somebody for help with that? And I'll look at her and say, you don't think I can do this by myself? I can do it by myself. I'm gonna show you right now. I'll do it all by myself. And then six hours later, I'm calling one of my friends and be like, hey man, I really need your help with this project. I can't do it. Maybe you can do it on your own. Maybe there's a lot of things in your life, the way that you're living. Maybe, maybe you've seen success on your own. Maybe you're able to do it. Maybe you've had the power and the ability to accomplish some things all by yourself. And it's made you feel like I can keep going in this direction. I don't need help. I don't need a community. And I certainly don't need God. I believe there is a time stamp on that. Maybe there are a lot of things that you can do on your own, but maybe you could do a whole lot more if you tried it alongside somebody else. I don't know a whole lot about horses, but I do watch Yellowstone, okay? So I am very close to being a cowboy having finished season four. Horses on their own, they pull with the strength of one horse. This is revolutionary news for you. They use one horsepower per horse. But two horses together pull with the power of three horses. This is true. In fact, I put it in numbers. We're talking about draft horses. A draft horse is like the big old horses that with the big old, you know, like the Budweiser horses. And a draft horse, the big working horses, can pull 8,000 pounds. That's a lot of pounds. But two of them together can pull 24,000 pounds. That's three horses worth of weight. And if those two horses work together long enough and stay together, going in the same direction, working together for a long enough period of time, they're able to pull up to 32,000 pounds. Three draft horses, or two draft horses can pull up to 32,000 pounds, as much as four 
horses. Here's my point. You were made to live in community, to live life alongside of others. Alone, you can accomplish some. There is some good you can do for yourself and in this world. You can grow to a certain point. But if you think that's all there is, you've got the wrong perspective. Because together, you can accomplish infinitely more. And that's not the only context for I can do it on my own. How many of us invite Jesus into our hearts, but then we don't invite Jesus into our lives or our decisions or our friendships or our relationships or our jobs or our finances because I can do it on my own. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. I can do it. I can't do it on my own. It's easy to get caught up in the wrong perspectives. The rest of the world buys into them. We see them fed to us online, on TV shows. We hear them from our friends. We're always being given these wrong perspectives, but I believe you have the power to rewrite your thinking and that it's been given to you through supernatural means. The Holy Spirit can empower you to rewrite patterns of thinking and perspectives that you've had all of your life. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Some of these ideas, these perspectives that are wrong and that are leading us in the wrong direction is what the whole world believes. What, it's what everybody around us is always saying, believing, and living out. But the Bible says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You can renew your mind. You can have a new perspective. It can be made new again. Let me give you a couple new perspectives today for the renewing of your mind. First, for 2022, maybe the thing that you really need to grasp and understand and absorb deep into the deepest part of your soul and your bones is that you are a child of God. You are a child of God. I just, I don't know about you, but I think, I think so many of us, I know for me, I've really struggled with that. I don't deserve this perspective, that idea. I don't deserve, I just, Sometimes I just kind of, I sit back and I look at my life or I look at what God has given me, what he has trusted me with. And I just think, I don't, I don't deserve this. I remember as a new believer, as a new Christian, looking at what the Bible said about forgiveness and atonement and how he would take my penalty on himself and learning about Jesus and what he went through for me and just thinking, I don't, I don't deserve this. I'm always waiting on somebody to jump out of the bushes and say, you don't deserve this. And for me, I'm swallowing this idea this year. You are a child of God. 1 John 3.1, see what kind of love, love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Galatians 3.6, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. Romans 8.16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we 
are the children of God. Ephesians 1.5, God decided in advance. He decided in advance. He decided in advance. He knew who you were and who you would be. He already made up his mind before you made those mistakes, and he stays firm to it on the other side of it. He decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And I just really need this part right here. It says, this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. You are a child of God. I believe the Bible is very clear about how God sees you, about what he thinks about you, about the value that he places on you. But for some reason, it's still so hard for us to grasp. And I think that there's a reason for that right now. And it's because we've had a fathering problem for a long time. Too many in our generation have grown up without a father. Or with a father who couldn't express his love for them. Or with a father who wasn't around. Or with a father who didn't know how to make them feel safe, cared for, valued. A father who rewarded them based on their accomplishments, not on who they were. We've had a fathering problem for a long time. And as a result, we just don't know how to relate to a God who is called Father. Does that mean that he's going to leave us when things get hard? If he is our Father, does that mean that he's going to hurt us if we step out of line? If he is our Father, does that mean he only comes near to me when it's convenient for him? If he is my Father, does that mean that I have to have a long list of accomplishments in order for him to see me? And value me. You are a child of God, and the difference is that He is a perfect Father. Matthew twenty-eight twenty, He says, "Behold, I am with you always, to the very end of the age." John three seventeen, James three seventeen. The wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, and then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. Maybe you had a great father. I had a great father. So blessed. Maybe you had a great father and that's great. But so many of us have wounds from our father that are deep. And we have this fathering issue where it's hard for us to understand what it means to be a child of God. Maybe you had a father who was absent, who you never knew, or who wasn't around, or who left when things got hard, or who disappeared, or who you didn't see enough. And Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He sent his spirit to dwell within you that you would never be without his presence again. Your father in heaven is ever present, is always with you, will never leave you or forsake you, and will never abandon you. Maybe you had a father and most of the things that he taught you were not great. He taught you how to lose your temper. He taught you how to take advantage. He taught you how to reward accomplishment and not the person. Maybe he taught you all the wrong things, but the things that, that, that your Father in heaven want to teach you are pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits. They're impartial. They're sincere. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Maybe, maybe you just felt a burden when you think about fathers. And in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus says, why don't you take my yoke upon you and learn from me? 
for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He is kind, he is patient, he is present, he is full of good wisdom that will change your life. He cares for you and he wants you. He chose you in advance and it gives him great pleasure. You are a child of God. Let him father you. Lean into his love. Learn, let, learn to let him speak into you both for praise and for discipline because you trust that he loves you and honor him with your life. That's how you be fathered. That's just the, the three basic steps to being a good child. You are a child of God and you are a new creation. Second thing is you are a new creation. Not only can you change, you don't just have the power within you through the spirit of God to change, but you have the power to be made completely new again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You can be made new. But it might take some work and it might take some time. You've got to begin it in your mind with the power of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 10.3, it says, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. It is hard to change. In fact, many of the people that you encounter in this world will never change, can never change, will never change. Change is so tough. It requires so much of us. And especially when you're trying to change things that have been a part of you for generations, ooh, that's hard. But thank God, we don't wage war as the world does. It's a little bit different for followers of Jesus. Because the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You have divine power at work within you. The power of the Holy Spirit is real and it can break through the strongholds that have held your family in one place for generations. You can break those bonds. You can change that future. You can be someone who is entirely new through His power and in Jesus' name. And sometimes the work is slow. We just start by using him to demolish the arguments and the lies that are in our minds. The, the little things that keep repeating, you're not worth it. You're not worthy. You couldn't be a child of God. You can't really change who you are. You can't uh, change your habits. No, I'm going to see those things and I'm going to circle them and I'm going to take them captive in Jesus' name. I'm going to say they don't have power over me. They don't get to tell me my future anymore. Whatever those lies are that are circling around you right now about who you are, who you can be, who you should be, I'm going to circle them instead and I'm going to take them captive in Jesus' name and say these are up against the truth that God has given me and I'm going to move them out of the and little things like that over time little little attacks setting it up as a habit and as a routine every time those thoughts cross your mind you say no in Jesus name and by the power of the Holy Spirit I'm not giving into this lie today and over time they lose their power and you just start to notice a little bit just as for me it didn't happen quickly I just remember uh, maybe two years into my faith I've been doing this just I'm a systematic person Anything I've ever done successfully, I've done through routine and systems. And I just remember I had these lies that were always circling my head, always. 
And I began to write them down in my journal and just circle them and then put like, an, uh, like the no smoking sign through them. I just went, boom, ha, gotcha. I did it for two years. Just always pulling out my notebook and writing things down. I would have an interaction with somebody and I would have all these lies in my head about how it really went or how they saw me or what, what kind of what I was meant to do or made to do. And I'd go back and I'd write it down and I'd circle it and I'd say, no, I'm going to take this captive in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would strike it from my mind and teach me a new way to think and a new way to see you and a new way to be. And I don't want to be this person anymore. I want to be somebody different. And I'll write down, here's the lie and, and I'm going to write the truth right here. Who's who I want to be? And I, and I just did this like a, a practice. And I remember about two years into my faith, I remember thinking, huh, I haven't gone to that journal in a while. I haven't written any of those lies down in a while. I think I've changed. I think that my thinking has changed. I think that the way I see the world has changed. I think I'm somebody different. And slowly I began to think maybe I'm somebody new, somebody better. Maybe God really is doing what he said he would do. You have that power to be made new. Hold those habits, those patterns, those trains of thought, those lies that led you to who you were captive. Write them down, identify them, call them out when you see them and then make them obedient to Christ. When you feel that temptation coming, turn on some worship, pray, think on the things of God, call someone, fight back because you have divine power to demolish strongholds. The last thing, a new perspective for you today is that you need Jesus. I mean, you just, you need him. You can't do it on your own. You need the people of God and you need the son of God. John 15, five again, in just simple terms, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. That means that, listen, in my backyard right now, there is a whole lot of branches. They're just everywhere. There was a windstorm two weeks ago. It was way too cold this week for me to pick up sticks. I'm gonna tell you, I went out on Friday morning and I stood there with my gloves on to pick up sticks for one minute. And I thought, I'm not doing this today. And I went back inside. And let me tell you about all these sticks in my yard. They are dead and lifeless. They're getting brittle. If I step on them, they crack. They're no good anymore because they're disconnected from their source of life. And they, they got some use, you know. I mean, I could pick them up and throw them. My dog loves them. You know, you can whack stuff with a stick. It's great. But it's not doing what it was created to do. It was created to bring life to that tree. It was created to add to it, to bring value. It was created to work in community with all the other branches. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He is the thing we stay connected to in order to do exactly what we were made to do, to be who we were made to be, to live out the function we were created to live in. You can have some usefulness apart from him. I'm sure you can be thrown for a dog to catch somewhere. I'm sure there's some good that you can accomplish in this world apart from him. But the thing you were made to do, you got to be connected to him in order to do it. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. He's just got so many good things prepared for you and for your life. So many blessings for you, so many dreams for you, so many things he wants to do in you and through you. And apart from him, you can't do those things. He wants you to bear a lot of fruit, but it only works when you remain in him. Peter talks about the devil, calls him a roaring lion, seeking out who he may devour. It's a it's kind of a, a extreme. It's like, wow, Peter, that's scary. But have you ever watched a nature documentary? They get sad real quick, don't they? 
My daughters will never forget when we were watching a peaceful documentary about whales and there was this cute little whale baby that we watched for 20 minutes of this thing. So cute, we loved it. And then that baby was attacked and eaten by a pack of shamus. It was devastating. Pretty traumatic for a three-year-old. You ever watch Lions Hunt? You notice they don't attack a herd of zebras or gazelles. They look for the loners. And when they find the loners, they surround them and separate them from the pack more and more until they're easy to take down and devour. That's the strategy of your enemy. He wants you alone so he can break you down and destroy you. You need the people of God and you need the son of God. Remain in him. Worship him when you start every single day. Learn how to pray and pray to him. Nothing will enrich your life more than a healthy moment of prayer every single day. Tell others about him. See what kind of fruit he can bear in you. If you're here today and you've been trying to do it on your own for a long time, you've had a lot of these perspectives that you've been trying to see the world this way. I don't deserve it. I can do it on my own. I'm never going to change. And maybe you've tried shifting into new perspectives. Maybe you've done that January thing where we, we make some big dreams and they're gone by February. And maybe that's always been your pattern. I want to tell you that this year can be different. Because the, the, the one piece that you need to get all these new perspectives is Jesus. It's him. He makes it all possible. He makes it enjoyable. He brings you a peace and a satisfaction into your life that you've never had before. I mean, we just spend so much of our lives searching for some kind of satisfaction, thinking there's got to be more than this. And he gave you that so that you would find him. He's done all the work for you. You don't have to get it all right you don't have to be perfect. Ain't nobody in this room got it all right today, let alone when they entered into a relationship with him. And so all you got to do is say this prayer and it's just kind of, it's kind of the opening to a relationship. It's not magical. It's just a, hey, I'm, I'm here situation. Will you pray it with me if you're ready to start that relationship today? Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my mistakes. Forgive me for trying to do this all on my own. I don't want to anymore. I want life. And so I choose you. I believe in what you've done for me and who you are. And everything that I am from this day forward, I am yours. I give myself to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.